head over to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 49 through 53 today. Uh, and you know what that means. Travis already mentioned it, right? This is the end of the gospel of Luke. Susie's excited it's over. You hate Luke? What's up with that? It has not been four years. It has been three and a half years. We started on August 26, 2018. Gotcha. You, what, you got a PhD in that time? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess three and a half years for a book that takes two and a half hours to read, that's not the most efficient route through that is that. But we, we didn't set out to be efficient, did we? Um, right? We, we set out to, to know Jesus better. We set out to, to know his priorities, his ways, to understand mercy and grace better. Uh, we set out to grow in our faith, and I, I hope we have. Uh, any sermon that we begin through a book, we, we hope that's so. Uh, so anyway, well, uh, let me remind you of last week. Uh, Jesus opened his disciples' minds to understand the scriptures. He uh, taught them how he himself is the fulfillment of the scriptures, how he had to suffer and, and die and, and be resurrected from the grave. And, and then he gave the disciples their, their mission, right? Um, he gave us a mission. That we proclaim to all nations repentance and the forgiveness of sins and that we do so in the name of, of, of Jesus. That we go out into the world, that we go out into our, our offices, on the post, our dorm rooms, restaurants, whatever weird interest groups you're in, uh, play dates. Every place that the Lord sends us out into the world, uh, that we go out and, and we share how sinners can be welcomed into God's covenant people. How they can be united to Jesus by grace through faith. And, and so that's, that's the mission. And in other words, our, our mission is to share the gospel. And, and that's kind of where we stopped last week. And um, so let's read the rest of it. Let's finish up the, the gospel of Luke. We're going to pick up there in verse 49. I'm going to read verse 48 too, just to give a little more context, because Jesus is, is still speaking here. He says, you are witnesses of, of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into the heaven. Into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The grass withers, the flower fades... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of Luke. Thank you for the time we've spent learning about Jesus, being challenged and encouraged in these passages. Holy Spirit, this morning I ask that you would open our eyes to understand these last five verses of the gospel of Luke. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Yeah, so first of all, verse 49, look at it there. It's one of the more Trinitarian single verses in all of the scriptures, right? Because here we see uh, it displays the doctrine of the, the Trinity here, that, that God is, is one God, right? Monotheism, and yet three persons, Trinity there, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here we have Jesus, the Son, speaking of the Father's promise, which is, of course, the Holy Spirit, all three right there in one verse. Now, uh, try to remember the context of, of where this sp statement is spoken, right? Jesus has just given the Great Commission. We just went over that. Go make disciples. Go proclaim forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus to all nations. 
And, and on some level, if, if, we're re- like, if you think about it, that is an impossible mission that he has just given us. And it's impossible because I can't bring about genuine conviction in someone. You can't stir someone up to, to repentance and faith, right, in, in the heart of a sinner. You can't do that. But God can. God can. And, and that's why Jesus tells them to go to Jerusalem and to wait for him to send the Holy Spirit. Only in this instance here, we don't see Jesus use the words Holy Spirit, does it? Instead, he, he describes the promise. He describes the Holy Spirit as being clothed with power from on high. Clothed. It's, it's something put on. Now, I'm not a gamer by, by any means. I don't have a gamer tag. I couldn't care less about PS5 or whatever the new Xbox is called. Um, but if I'm honest, I, I have an affection for Nintendo since the mid-80s when it first came out. It's kind of old school. Um, so much so that, full disclosure, I, I bought every Nintendo system that's ever come out on the day it comes out. I don't have to know anything about it. It just says Nintendo on it. I'll buy it. Um, real discerning there, I know. <clears throat> anyway, my, my favorite game in the, in the Nintendo series is uh, the, the Legend of Zelda. It's set in this kind of Lord of the Rings type world. Uh, and you play as this guy named Link. Uh, and he starts from nothing, and he begins to collect all these different skills and things. And, and usually you have to save the kingdom from some evil villain. Uh, and, and one aspect of the, the game is this obtaining different clothing. And, and this clothing actually affects you. It, it gives you strength to fight against the evil in the world and, uh, and more resistance right, against attacks from the evil one. And, and, and I, I mentioned this, right, just to kind of bring it around, right, that... That while it's, it's just a Nintendo game, this is just the imagination of the creator, this, this Japanese guy named Miyamoto, um, but, but what Jesus is describing here is, is from the imagination of the creator of the universe, from, from God, right? And, and he's describing the, the Holy Spirit here as, 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 yes, indwelled by it, but here it's explained to us as, as something that is put on us. Uh, there is power. Real power in the Holy Spirit that God gives to us in this promise of the Father. Real power, right? And, and unfortunately, as, as Christians, and, and particularly as Reformed Christians, sometimes we, we seem absolutely unaware of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit that we are actually indwelled with. And part of it is because we're afraid of some really messed up views of the Holy Spirit we see. So, so understand, I don't mean power in the sense of speaking in tongues or, or you healing someone by, by your touching them, right, of, of disease or, or being given mystical messages from, from, from God in that way. I, I mean the power to, to give you faith to, to preserve or persevere in your faith, right? I, I mean, even in the midst of great suffering that you might be going through, that you continue to believe the gospel, I mean the power that we can open the scriptures and actually understand them, make sense of them, believe them. I I mean power that brings our lives into the conformity of God's word, that we become more Christ-like. I mean power to to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in your life, right? So So that you are clothed with love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I I mean power for you to confidently tell someone about Jesus and them to believe in Jesus with faith in their hearts, that that the Holy Spirit can come into the most unbelieving heart you've ever known and and yet bring about faith. That's why Jesus gives them this mission to proclaim the gospel, but then says, "Oh, oh, oh, wait, right? Wait, wait until you are clothed with power from on high. Wait until you've, you, you've been upgraded, right? But before you go out from Jerusalem with the gospel, because you need this. 
You, you need the power that comes from being clothed in the Holy Spirit before you engage in this battle with, with darkness, with sin, with evil. And it's, it's also true for us, right, that we don't go about proclaiming Christ in our own efforts. I hope you know that. We, we don't do so with manipulative sales strategies of, of trying to convince people in that way. We, we, we just proclaim the hope of forgiveness in Christ, and, and then we trust the Holy Spirit to work powerful. We, we pray for that. We should do so more expectantly. Uh, church, the Great Commission is not fulfilled by your hustle. It is fulfilled by faithful proclamation and the power of the Holy Spirit to change people. And, and Jesus says to his disciples, right, in Acts 1.8, it's kind of a parallel passage. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be. It's expectant. Now, Romans 8 tells us that everyone who has faith in Jesus is also indwelled by the Holy Spirit. There is absolutely no such thing as a Christian who is not filled with the Holy Spirit. It is not a thing. And so let me ask you what Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Christian, do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Are you day by day truly aware of the fact that you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, with the third person of the Trinity? Are you? God, promise, God delivers on this promise, right? We can read about it in Acts chapter 2 when on the, the day of Pentecost. That's, you know, 50 days after the uh, resurrection of Jesus, but 10 days after, after his ascension that we're seeing today. In Jerusalem, God pours out the Holy Spirit on all those who are his. And you too, if your faith is in Jesus, are today, right in this moment, truly, actually, in reality, filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with power from on high. Now, we could take weeks to unpack all that it, being filled with the Holy Spirit means, and, and, and we still have much to get through today. We're, we're not going to unpack the absolute aspect of that. We did that a bit in Acts when we preached through that. Um, but I do want to include a little more. Uh, I'll, I'll include a little bit more in the, in the weekly email. If you don't get that, you can sign up on our, our front page of the website and sign up for that. That's redundant. I'm always redundant. Anyway, for now, let me just explain how the Holy Spirit is necessary for the Great Commission, for, 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 for what Jesus is, you know, this, this particular mission that Jesus is speaking of. Uh, first of all this, right, evangelism can be dangerous, very dangerous. It was especially dangerous for them. They are returning to the very city that had just murdered Jesus, right, for, for proclaiming the very things that they're about to come back and proclaim about Jesus, the gospel, um, right? So there's danger there. Uh, we, we saw last week how Jesus told them that they're going to be witnesses, how they are going to share all the things that they have seen of Jesus, that Jesus has spoken, that, that they have experienced with Jesus. Um, and, and here's an interesting fact. Uh, the Greek word that is witness, when you look in your, your ESV or probably, probably even your NASB has, uh, has witness there. Anyway, the, the Greek word there is just martyr. You know that word, right? Because in English we use the word martyr it's synonymous with anyone who has been killed because of their faith. And so this idea of witnessing is so synonymous with suffering, persecution, even death, right? Uh, so that's, that's part of it. They need the Holy Spirit to give them confidence in, in the truth of the words that they are going to proclaim, that it is of such value that it is worth that risk, such confidence in their own salvation. And also the, the, the gospel, right? Since this hopeful message will... It's going to put them in danger of losing their life. They, they, they just they need the Holy Spirit for that. 
They, they need the comfort of the Holy Spirit for, for suffering that's bound to come. When Jesus, in, in Matthew 28, 20, he, he, he says uh, that he'll be with us all, always, right? He is talking, uh, Trinitarian, he is talking about the, the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. They, they need the Holy Spirit to convict, to convert the hearts of those who they will proclaim this message to. Because apart from God working, they are powerless. As we learn in 1 Corinthians 1.5, our, our gospel does not go out to men and women in word alone, but, and this is a quote from that passage, also in power and in the Holy Spirit. That's why they must first receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I want to shift our attention to this last section, right? It's a little bit of an abrupt transition. It, just, it is in the text, too, um, <clears throat> to this ascension. Now, when I was in elementary school, we, we did this project where we, we took a note card and we wrote on that note card, here is my name and, and my school's name and the address of my school, uh, and, and this and question, right? If you find this card, please mail it back to this address. And I can't remember if we gave them postage or not. It would have been rude if we didn't. Who knows? Anyway, we tied that card to this helium balloons, all of our own helium balloons. We went outside and we all just released our, our, our balloons and ribbons off into the air uh, all at once, it's the 80s, nobody seemed to care about ribbons or plastic getting out in the environment anywhere. Uh, anyway, it's a whole school, and, and so somewhere around 300 balloons are going off into the sky. And I can remember us all just staring there, just staring in the sky, and you'd, you'd kind of change as one disappeared, you'd look for another one. And, and just as for as long as you could possibly find a balloon that's somewhere in your vision, we just stared up into the sky. <clears throat> and, and I'll tell you, my card was never returned. Uh, but other people's cards were, I don't know, maybe it got eaten by something. Uh, other people's cards came back, and they had these stories about where they landed. Some of them were over 20 miles from the school where they actually came back from. Now, the, the Lord entered the world in the most ordinary of ways, okay? Childbirth, and it's not to downplay childbirth, um, but it is the ordinary way in which we come into the world. But when Jesus leaves, it is anything but ordinary. Right? The, the apostles are looking on, they are looking up as, as Jesus is physically, in reality, lifted up into the sky until they can see him no more. There is nothing ordinary about that. I, I imagine like my, my classmates and I, with, with squinted eyes, they just continued to just gaze up into the sky, seeing where he went until they could see absolutely nothing of their Savior anymore. And, and so what are we to make of the ascension? Right? It's not something we, we tend to think of it all that much. What do we make of it, though? Our, uh, our affirmation of faith today, the Apostles' Creed, right? It's, in it we confess that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We confess that often, but do we think about that often? Right? The, the church calendar has us thinking about the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, but how often do we contemplate the ascension of Jesus? So we're going to do that this morning. First of all, in Acts 1, we learn that this event, and kind of already mentioned it, but occurred 40 days after the resurrection. 40 days has been passing, and what's been going on is, is Jesus has been appearing to people. Jesus has been teaching his disciples all sorts of things uh, about him and the scriptures, he appeared to a multitude of people, he, he's, and then on this day, he leads them out to Bethany. And if you remember, we, we've been in Bethany before. This is the town about 
two miles east of Jerusalem. It's up on the Mount of Olives. It's, it's not a real big mountain. It's kind of, I don't even know if it deserves the name mountain. It's 2,700 feet above sea level, a little below the 1,400s we have in Colorado. It's only 350 feet above the Kidron Valley, but, but that distance is why it's referred to as a mountain. Uh, it, it's, it's the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the unfortunately named Simon the leper. Uh, and, and so at Bethany, Jesus lifts up his hands and he blesses his disciples. That, that's what's happening here. Now, it's, it's not exactly like the blessing at a Thanksgiving meal. It's, it's most definitely not like the southern blessing of, oh, oh bless your hearts. Um, this blessing is rooted in the Old Testament. After Aaron is, is ordained as the first high priest over Israel, we, we, live in, we read in Leviticus 9.22, and, and Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and he blessed them. This act of the priests blessing the people of God became a tradition for Israel. The priests continued to do it. The most well-known blessing recorded in, is recorded in Numbers 6.24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You recognize that? I hope because we, we use it often as our, our benediction at the close of the worship service. Uh, benediction comes from these, these Latin terms that mean to, to speak well of, to speak good. Which is exactly what Jesus is doing in this blessing here. In fact, the, the Greek word translated as blessing in our passage are these two kind of compound words or words that get squished together to make one word that just good and, and speak. I guess from your angle, good and speak. Um, and, and so we end our service in the, in the same way that Jesus ends his earthly ministry by, by speaking a, a good word, a, a benediction, a, a blessing over God's people. Now we don't know the specific words that Jesus uses in his blessing here. We, we don't know, you know what it was. We know it's substantial. It's something of significance because he continues to do so as even he is carried up into the heaven, right? And you can add that to your, your growing list as we've gone through Luke, these questions you want to ask Christ at his return, right? Lord, what was the blessing that you gave to the apostles during that time? It's probably not the top of your list, but, uh, you know, one of those things. What did you actually say to them? Maybe it was, bless your heart. Probably not. Even without knowing the words, though, as God's redeemed people, we know that we live day by day under the blessing and the mercy of the Lord. You see, through the Holy Spirit, he, he gives us strength for ministering to others. He gives us comfort for our suffering. He, he gives us hope for the future and, and, and so on. R.C. Sproul once said, the ascension marks the end of the work Jesus came to do on earth and the beginning of what he continues to do in and through the church. It's this transition point. You see, Jesus' ascension is, is far more than just a means of transportation, as we tend to think of it, right? It's this, it's this moment where, where we see Jesus being exalted, being returned to his, his proper point of exaltation, a place of exaltation. He, he has completed the will of his father, and, and now he is returning home to his father. And I know, if you're anything like me, the, the question that's going through your brain when you begin to, to think about the ascension is, where is Jesus now? Where is he? 
But where did it, right? What, what happens once he's out of sight? Is, is he in another realm somewhere that we simply can't see with our eyes? Is he in outer space somewhere across the universe where theoretically you could make a spaceship and fly there? Do you want the, the purely biblical answer to this question? I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And so I can't, I can't satisfy that curiosity. But I can tell you what you do need to know. I can tell you that. What scripture tells us we need to know about the ascension. And, and the first thing that you need to know is that you do not need to know how to get to Jesus. Because you don't have to go find Jesus. He has promised to return. He has promised to, to come back to you for us and, and to take us home with him. We can believe that promise. So you don't need to know where he's at. In, in Acts 1, we learn that, that after Jesus ascends out of sight upon a cloud, there's an angel right, that appears and speaks to the apostles. And here's what he says. He says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will come for us. Remember that. Believe that. The second thing you need to know is that the ascension was bodily, right? Jesus continues to be flesh and bone and blood like, like you and I will be at the resurrection. It is, it is bodily. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Boston, speaking of Jesus' return, he said this, We shall see with our eyes that very body which was born of Mary at Bethlehem and crucified at Jerusalem between two thieves, the blessed head that was crowned with thorns, the face that was spit upon, the hands and feet that were nailed to the cross, all shining with inconceivable glory. We will see him in flesh when he returns. The third thing you need to know is that Jesus has gone to his Father. Back in John 16, 20, 28, Jesus told his disciples, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world, and I am going to the Father. That's where he's at. In John 20, Jesus, after his resurrection, is speaking with Mary Magdalene, and he tells her, I am ascending to the Father, to my Father, and your Father, to my God, and your God. He's with the Father. Uh, fourth thing, right, to know is this. Not only is Jesus with the Father, he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Theological term is accession, right, sitting down. To sit down at the right hand of the Father is, is to exercise equal and absolute sovereign rule over the entire universe. He is ruling. L listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says. <clears throat> Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Or Colossians 3.1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. His ruling. Fifth, now that Jesus has ascended into heaven and is, and is now uh, he is now and forever your advocate. Christ is, is for you. He is your advocate. F Philip Riken, trying to explain this, or explaining it well, I think, says it like this. He says, as our defense attorney, so to speak, Jesus raises his wounded hands in the courts of heaven as the proof that the price of our guilt is fully paid. 
Or as Hebrews 9.24 tells us, Christ has entered into the heavens, uh, into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I'll give you one more. 1 John 2.1. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The sixth thing you need to know is this. Because of Christ's ascension, we who are naturally unholy and now and forever, are now and forever welcome in the throne room with God, or throne room of God with Jesus. Just listen to this. A glorious statement. Hebrews 4, 14, so on. Um, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. And then hear this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access. We can go boldly into the throne room. We do so through prayer. And finally, we need to know that because of Christ's ascension, we are closer to God than ever. In John 16, 7, Jesus says, I, I tell you the truth, it, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It's to our advantage. I don't know, every time we hear that, we think, I, I, I kind of want the physical presence of Jesus. I kind of want him standing there in front of me. But, but think about the access you have to so many people in this world, that there's just one of them. Right? How much access do you have to any given president that we have? When, when Jesus says he's going to send the helper, right, he, he means that the Spirit replaces Jesus' local presence on earth. We all have access. In fact, in Romans 8 9, the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the, the Spirit of Christ. And, and so Jesus has gone to the Father, and, and this is good news, for he has sent the Holy Spirit to dwell powerfully within you. Christian, there is not a place you can go on this planet or off this planet where God is not with you always. And so Jesus is, is out of sight, and, and from Acts 1, we know that they just, they just stare up at the sky for a while. It doesn't surprise us, right? We'd all do the same thing, just, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll see him again. I don't know. And there's this part that you think, you know, everything we know about these guys, these apostles, their, their doubts, their weaknesses, how needy they are at times, how misunderstanding they are at times, how afraid they were at times, all this kind of leads us to expect them just to melt down, like Jesus, he's gone again. Um, to melt down, but they don't. Not, not at all. I mean, look at the passage, right? Our passage says, they worship Jesus and return to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. They don't melt down at all. They, they now know with such absolute certainty that, that Jesus is divine, that he is the son of God. And and so they know that Jesus is worthy of their wholehearted worship. And in verse 53, we, we see that they're in the temple, right? And, and they're blessing God. And then often like that, that, that God blesses us and, and then we, we bless him. We, we speak well of him. We praise him for, for what we see, uh, who he is, what he does, right? And in obedience, they return to Jerusalem, to the town that killed Jesus, and they are not reluctant. They are not fearful in the least. The text says they went with great joy. With great joy. We, we, we too can have this joy. We, we need to remember, right, that, that Jesus is alive. Truly remember that. That Jesus is alive. 
He he is reigning at the Father's right hand right now. He will return for us. He will put all things right. It is so easy for us to get into our normal lives to just engage with so many secular things that aren't necessarily saying that's not true, but it's what's unspoken that happens. You just kind of forget these realities. This is not some theological theory. It's just reality. We can have joy in this life because of all that Jesus has accomplished for us, all that he is for us. And and we're going to have joy for the life to come. Hallelujah. I, I, I love that it tells us they were continually worshiping God. It's a way of life for them, just continually adoring the Lord. Not, not just some high, we, high point, uh, uh, you know, after, after some week get together for the gospel or a passion conference or whatever it might be, where, where this excitement builds and then fades. You've probably experienced this at some point in your life, but they are continuously joyful because they are living in the reality of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension and his ruling now In short, they know Jesus. They know him. Do do you know the Jesus that we have talked about in this Gospel of Luke? And I I mean that. If not, you need to know that you can know him. You can trust him with your soul, with your your life, with with today. And and if you want to know more, even a remotely inches at all, would you please be bold? Come talk to me afterwards today. Or call or, or text or email me or knock on my door. I don't care. Let's talk about Jesus. <clears throat> and if you don't want to talk to me, that's fine. Most of the people in this room can answer your questions. Talk to somebody. And so the Gospel of Luke then ends where it began. It, it began in the temple, if you remember, where Zechariah, the the priest who would be John the Baptist's father was offering incense in the altar, on the altar. And here it ends back in Jerusalem, in the temple, with the disciples of Jesus joyfully worshiping God. And that's the end. Now Luke's gospel actually does have a sequel, right? The gospel of Luke, the sequel, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, Right? If you haven't read Acts recently, I highly encourage you to do so. You can probably do it before Stucky gets his next PhD. I don't know. Um, but, but to bring this to this proper close today, I, I do want to remind you that, that Acts 1.11 tells us that Jesus will return one day in the same way that he left, exalted in the sky. And remember that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in his Father's house. All who know Christ as Savior, we, we have an eternal, eternal home with God. We have so much to look forward to in eternity with our gracious, merciful Savior. And do not forget, right, we, we talk about clothed with the Holy Spirit here. But the rest of the, Holy, you know, the rest of the scriptures talk about being indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Right, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. There, there is more power than that than you realize. More strength in that, more comfort in that. Don't forget that. Let us pray. <clears throat> Lord God Almighty, we come boldly to approach your throne of grace. Father, thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for being a promise keeper, for fulfilling that, to, 
for sending the helper, for clothing us with power from on high, for, for sending us the indelible indwelling of the Holy Spirit. May we live and, and minister to others day by day in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. May, may you, Spirit, more and more rule in our hearts as we continue to await the return of Christ, that we might grow to be more Christ-like, that we'd be convicted more of sin, that we'd be more joyful to, to worship you and to share the gospel, not, not from a place of guilt, but from a place of, of so much joy that we long for, for others we know to know that joy. Oh, Father, what a day it will be when Christ returns. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.